This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. I watched a movie. My name is Taylor, and I read some stuff. This week, we are doing our second part on James Bond. No Time to Die uh, is out. I've seen it twice, and I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> it's fascinating to study, but it's never been one of my favorite things. And I'm now saying, like, yeah, it might be my favorite of the Daniel Craig films. I'm pretty gobsmacked. So I am stoked that we are back here today to be going through who James Bond really is, who he's been through all of the decades so that we can get to the heart of why saying goodbye to Daniel Craig right now means so much to so many people, because it really does. And man, it means something to me. And I can't believe that I'm really <laughs> feeling that right now. <laughs> You know, there's the age old argument that we can't possibly that's not the purpose to say, oh, who's the best bond? No, not our opinion yeah. to tease out, but instead why they are what they are, what made them yes. that way. I'm amazed that this ball is still in play. This is the <laughs> longest running cinematic franchise. So how did this ball get moved forward step by step? And the dollar signs don't lie. No, they do not. Inflation adjusted total revenue is almost 15 billion for all the movies combined. That's ticket sales. It's hard to quantify. So I found a website that has, if all was equal every day, James Bond would be making $683,000 a day. Wow. And then per minute, $474 per second, almost eight bucks. If if you if you oh spread God. it out over from sixty two when the first one came out to now, it'd be James Bond is oh. making eight eight bucks a second. So well, he kind of lives like he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why we're talking about this. If I, the dollar signs had waned, this this franchise would be, have been gone decades and decades ago. There is something about this franchise and this character that keeps people coming back. And what I've realized now, saying goodbye to Daniel Craig, is I'm seeing my friends, myself now involved in his iteration of this character. Now we're invested in this franchise, and going forward, they will cast another James Bond. And we'll all now we're in the fight. Now we're invested. Now we we like yeah. this. We grew up with this. Now we'll always be comparing everything else to that. Now we're like all the people that loved all of the other James Bonds. Here we are. It happened to us. <laughs> we were assimilated. So so, so I, I watched to... it's a beautiful thing. I just I've watched that happen kind of this like last weekend as the movie mm -hmm. came out. And I'm like, oh man, that we now we've been folded into this. Now I kind of get this a little more because I'm saying goodbye to my James Bond. He gets the hype. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's keep in mind as we go back into the history, if you can imagine a graph, x-axis is time, y-axis is how much money they made. There's a steep rocket launch when it first comes out and then a gentle sort of slope down to nothing. Mm. And then mm. it hits its lowest in 89 and then coming back up and it's gone back up and up and up. Oh, up wow. to now. So just keep that in mind as we talk about this timeline. Yeah. I'll let you know where it hits. But that's kind of what the history of James Bond looks like in terms of popularity defined by money. So we That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. Let's start with where we ended off last time. I did have sort of a correction. I had said that JFK had said, oh, he loves James Bond. That is true. I wanted to clarify that the novels were doing well in Britain. It was that the novels weren't doing well abroad in the US. So that's oh. why it created a bump. Because like we said, it was like, well, the novels were doing well, but the films weren't being made. Why is that the case? Because it didn't It wasn't catching on in the States. Appeal. And so suddenly if the president mentions it, then it starts. Yes. That makes sense. The earliest point we had mentioned also was a TV movie that came out in 54, sold the rights to right. CBS for almost 10,000 in today's dollars. <laughs> Not that much. 
Um, but Fleming and, is hard at work trying to get this made into something. So he initially wrote his own script for Dr. No as an outline for TV, sort of even as a side way to promote the Jamaican tourism industry. Sick. You, you know, you got to you got to finance these things somehow. <laughs> right. But that fell through. He ended up with a producer, this guy, Harry Saltzman, and his name will come back throughout. Mm. But he sold the rights of all the novels except Casino Royale because he had already sold it for mm. fifty thousand dollars is what I saw. OK. Albert Broccoli is the name. And for ever and always, it says an Eon film by Albert Broccoli. I always laughed at that when I saw them. It's like, why is it still because he's been the producer and now his daughter is the producer and they're the producers forever. Wow. Saltzman didn't really have much in terms of production. He had done some stage plays and whatnot. So they agree to work together kind of as rivals because they both wanted to do it, but neither had one had the material, one had the, the ability. And so then they form Eon Productions and thus forth forever, the production company. That's fascinating. This is the people behind the curtain shepherding this whole thing. So it's interesting to get it because now that I remember the buzz when Daniel Craig was cast and mm -hmm. how the impetus put on that and the rollout of <laughs> actually saying he was going to be it is one of the most lavish Hollywood affairs that you yeah. can basically have. So that's who is in charge of it is, you know, these people behind the curtain. And now it's a very lauded, rich curtain with Aston Martins and <laughs> amazing uh, alcohol and all those sorts of things. So it's amazing to, to just start to wrench down on exactly mm -hmm. who are the people in charge of James Bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's always been in the broccoli family the from broccoli the very family. beginning. <laughs> They've got they've held the keys to the kingdom for it. So they're going to do the first one, which they wanted to do Thunderball because that was the big book that had come out just then. But there's copyright issues with it, as we right. had said before. And so they're continuing to dispute because Fleming kind of stole the the idea from the screenwriters and then wrote his own novel. <laughs> so they're, they're like, we can't deal with this right now. We'll do Dr. No. Mm -hmm. And thus forth, also starting from the beginning, it's like there's no bearing on the sequence of when they decide to do what story. It's not chronological with the novels. It's just all over the place. None of that matters. They're just trying to make one right now. Right. Dr. <laughs> no. And it was a movie. Absolutely all over the place as far as the writing of it, honing down the story. There was a draft and Dr. No at mm -hmm. one point, he had been changed to literally a marmoset, a type of what? monkey, as <laughs> that was the mastermind villain. So the original screenwriter left, said, this is going to be a disaster. Oh, my God. One of the things that was disastrous to Ian Fleming, because he's still around when this one's out, the casting of Sean Connery. Really? We had mentioned, even though he's kind of in the books, a bit more cold-blooded, blunt instrument was the terminology. Yes. He still thought muscular six foot two Sean Connery. He called him, quote, an overgrown stuntman. Ian Fleming <laughs> thought he still should be suave. David Niven, this, you know. So he thought that Connery debonair. was a bit too manly, too big, <laughs> too yeah, big, too, too brutish, too. Yeah. Yes. He, he He's a Viking. Fought. He's a Viking of a man. Put him in a tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. Yeah. David Niven is the, is like, you know, thin mustache, still sipping martinis, a vessel of the British government, but not this 
yeah, Hulk of a person, mm-hmm. completely knuckle dragging, etc. So, well, I mean, that definitely became a lot of their work. The filmmakers, when they set out to put mm-hmm. Connery in front of the camera, is to actually make him fit in the frame and naturally fit in the frame to make him suave, to make him mm-hmm. luxurious, because make him more promiscuous and and all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah, the. The debonairness definitely they had to put in. The one thing that Sean Connery added was humor, the the mm. one-liners, the quippiness, because mm-hmm. that's not as much in the novels and isn't as big a part of the character. But he's like, I've got to have some of this stuff. And somebody had said it's like a British screen actor acting like an American leading man. Oh, that's an interesting funny. combination. That's, that's good. That right there is a good combination. It'll get you, it'll get you a product. Right. <laughs> One of the things that did come from it as it's skyrocketing to fame is in terms of fashion, James Bond is always known as a fashionable figure. But remember, this is 62. The bikini was not ubiquitous in the general public. Mm -hmm. Ursula Andress wore it, the classic coming out in the white bikini off of the ocean. And then Daniel Craig, almost a self-referential parody. He's the one in the, in the tight shorts in Casino Royale. But anyways, they're blue, they're bluish white. Yeah. 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 But, uh, the bikini skyrocketed in sales immediately after this comes out. And some claim that it had the biggest impact on the history of the bikini becoming a staple of women's swimwear is from Dr. No, it became part of culture for that reason. That's also. actually pretty incredible. Yeah. The way that stories and images can actually impact and move people. Uh, mm-hmm. so it can create a cultural phenomenon that we're still seeing reverberations today. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the bikini is now a standard. Uh, it wasn't in yeah. 1962. Yeah. And this is a part of that. So as we go on from Russia with Love is next. And this adds Q, the character, because the novels, interestingly, don't have that much equipment. Dr. No, even the film had no gadgets, just a Geiger counter for radiation (laughs) was the only thing. But Goldfinger follows from Russia with Love and the Q character becomes much more of a staple in the gadgets and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff, because that character doesn't even appear in any of the novels. Q Branch does, but the gadgets are what normal instruments, you know, not sci-fi bleeding edge technology. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The the Gatling guns coming out of the headlights. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All of that follows because of what the films are doing. Goldfinger in 64 is the top of that skyrocketing spike. This is really cementing what this thing is as a film. Thunderball comes next and all the legal stuff was settled out of court, but they figured out the deal where he McClory gets the screenwriting rights, but they can do the film and he can make a film based on his script if he wants to, etc. Gotcha. So on Thunderball, the one that comes out in the 60s, McClory is the sole producer credit because that was part of their agreement even though Broccoli's still working on it. But he's going to come back later to sort of mess things up for them. Oh, no. He's just (laughs) biding his time. This kind of led me to think about spy films, because now we're we're at the top of the rocket launch as far as James Bond. Yeah, we're four in. Four in. (laughs) Spy films, the 60s. 62, 63, 64, 65. I mean, a movie Mm. a year. Yeah. (laughs) So spy films, I saw 66, 22 secret agent films alone were released that year. Trying and that's at that peak, that, <laughs> that very peak when you were saying it, it yeah. takes off this Connery stuff 
to the moon <laughs> peak and everybody is getting on those coattails. How can we do something like this? What, how, how, does Mission Impossible come around in this time? Uh, when does the original? Yeah, so yeah. Mission Impossible is 66. It's it's a TV Boom, show. There we go. Wow. <laughs> Look how that fits in. So it's right there at the peak. Mission Impossible. Now it's on TV. Now it's coming into your living rooms on your TV set yeah. in evenings, mornings. This, this is <laughs> really midnight, becoming yeah. a thing. Basically, the, the <laughs> derivatives coming out <laughs> and getting on the market. It's no it's no wonder that the revenues for the 007 franchise start to go off of a cliff. They still have Connery for a little while, and then it kind of starts to make sense of, oh, when you might say goodbye to him and start thinking about how you (laughs) can refresh this. How can you get that money back? Because people are still making money on this genre, but you're not anymore. How'd that happen? It's kind of also we'll see a bit of them stealing from their own plate. So we're not done with Connery yet, but let's just No, no, I'm just just like seeing it all starting (laughs) to emerge here about four movies in. (laughs) So here's some of this stuff. The the two directions, you had mentioned Mission Impossible, which is more the fantastical tongue-in-cheek adventure leaning way on that side. But of course, there is a reaction, which is more the John Le Carré, serious Cold War thrillers, the spy who came in from the cold and that kind of thing. So that's really the dichotomy. So one of the ones reacting to the portrayal of Bond is the Harry Palmer series, which was 65 to 76. And then there were two TV movies after. This was more the, they called it the thinking man's Bond. Michael Caine, plays Harry Palmer. The Mm. character is unnamed in the novels. It's based on a book series as well. Mm -hmm. And this is so funny to me because they said, we want a dull, unglamorous name. We want to distance ourselves from James Bond. Again, here comes the dull, unglamorous name. But that's what he was in the first place. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) So Michael Caine suggests, he's like, what about Harry? Now, the producer of this is Harry Saltzman. (gasps) Also from the James Bond film series, who co-produced. What did the first you just say? <laughs> exactly. He was like, "That was the dumbest thing I could have said." You said the most boring, unglamorous, dumb name is Harry. Oh, you're Harry. But they went with it. So, <laughs> oh, I didn't mean your name's great. <laughs> so interestingly, Harry Saltzman as producer, they used Ken Adam, who was the designer on seven of the James Bond films. They used Peter Hunt, who was the editor on Five, and then Mm. they used John Barry, who was the composer, who came up with the theme and all that. So, (laughs) but he was, this was boring. This was the spy stuff that was like the unglamorous wiretapping kind of stuff. The other, uh, I mean, I can't name them all, but similar to Mission Impossible, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because of the connections. The Man from Uncle was the NBC spy series. Yes, on TV yes. that started in 64 and then there were eight films as well. Wow. Yeah. Which, Which let, this also is what got reboot. I mean, that had a, yeah. <laughs> had a complete reboot not very long ago. So, so the show, they approached Ian Fleming right before his death to help with this show. He was a little worried because of all of his influence with James Bond, but he gave them ideas. The original name for the main character, Napoleon solo was Ian Fleming's idea. So he just <laughs> must be a great, name creator guy his names are just spot on <laughs> but it's just crazy that's that's the last i'll say about all the iterations in the 60s but like that all of this is also kind of all the same people pulling from the same basket of apples to to come up with all of this right 
As we go on, 67, You Only Live Twice, this is the first film that discards most of the plot of the book that it's based off of. Oh, really? It's also the first to have a decline in the box office, like I said, because mm. of this oversaturation of the spy genre, yes. including James Bond itself. Remember how somebody still owns Casino Royale, the rights to oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> so they're like, well, let's make our Casino Royale. So this comes out. God, (laughs) this comes out the same year, sixty-seven, as you only live twice, and this is with David Niven, who Ian Fleming originally wanted as James Bond, (laughs) the the original suave, debonair, dandyish guy. It's a spoof comedy. Uh, Smirsh is the evil organization. Every famous British person, Peter Sellers, is in there. Peter O'Toole allegedly just got paid in champagne because he wanted to be in there so bad just like it's kind of like it's a mad mad world or rat race it's just really a groovy silly madness thing you only live twice and casino royale come out in the same year Mm -hmm. yeah it's very hard to even wrap your head around (laughs) yeah so now sean connery as i said he's over it so 69 becomes where here's our, our inflection point in history, the first shift. Who's it going to be? Why is this happening? There's a ton of reasons, but obviously one of them is Sean Connery saying, I don't want to be typecast. Look at the oversaturation. Yeah. He's getting older and more prominent in his career. He wants to do other things. So this is exactly what happens to Jamie Lee Curtis and horror movies into the 1980s. Oh, really? Like, uh, it's yeah. very interesting to see, at least in the entertainment business, how we will seize upon uh, what is hot in the moment, what is lucrative in the moment. And everybody gets, okay, now we're doing spy stuff. Everybody, do just bye, 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 all the spy <laughs> stuff. And well, th- this exact same trend happened at the back half uh, or in the back end of the 70s and into the 1980s, absolutely spurring uh-huh. the horror, uh, what would you even call it? I mean, the horror <laughs> the horror scene in the 1980s is yeah, insanity. Yeah. Um, (laughs) because everybody's getting in knowing where there's money to be made Mm -hmm. and then how it forces people like Sean Connery or Jamie Lee Curtis to be like, Oh no, I, uh, I got to get out of (laughs) here. Right. So he's finally getting out of there. So we think dun, 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 we'll see, (laughs) but on her majesty's secret service, at least the story they had written the script. They wanted to do this after Goldfinger. They wanted this story to be the fourth one, but it's oh. not. Th- Thunderball was filmed because they got the rights dispute settled, remember? Yeah. So they Because they wanted that to be the yeah. first one. So they're like, we're going to do that. And then Honor Majesty's Secret Service is going to follow that. But just all of the circumstances, weather patterns now, there was a warm Swiss winter. The whole thing takes place in the Alps in the snow. So there's not enough snow for them to film. So they have to postpone it again. And they plan to do Man with the Golden Gun in Cambodia and also use Roger Moore. Yeah. Who comes back later? But here's the two things that happen with that: there's political instability, aka the Vietnam War, that ruled out then filming, and then Roger Moore signed up for another season of his TV series. So all of that oh, in play no. is like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. It is, and who are we going to get now? Because we wanted Roger Moore, but he can't oh. do it now. So they changed tax, and as like you're saying. We had somebody who rose to stardom. Let's get not somebody famous, somebody that people don't associate with anything. So they get this guy, George Lazenby, who had no prior acting credits. He was in an ad for a chocolate bar. That's how they saw him. Hell yeah. (laughs) It got mixed reviews at the time, gained more following because it is one of the more realistic, faithful adaptations for the reason being the editor 
Peter Hunt, who had done the previous five films, this is his chance to direct. And it's his oh. only one that he directs. He leaves the series after that. But he, wow. he wanted to be very faithful to the source material. So virtually everything in the novel occurs in the film. And wow. yeah, there was You're a, making a, the case for Her Honor, <laughs> Majesty's uh, Secret Service, man. I'm, yeah. Now I'm like, I mean, this a, is interesting. A lot of people didn't like the acting of George Lazenby because it's so mm. different. And he wasn't an mm-hmm. actor, really. He was a model. <laughs> like, yeah. And it, it's, it, he plays it very differently. He also thought same way that secret agents would be archaic within the next year come the 70s. And so he was like, this is an old dying breed. This is a dinosaur thing. I don't want to do this anymore anyway. So this was the only one that he did as well. Gotcha. But the director Hunt, it was said that he always had the novel in hand on set and he really wanted it to be more like that book. So Take it or leave That's it. Really Most cool. people hate really, it, but it's it's just I, I, we're talking uh, sure. about the I mean, But I, I yeah. like the story of the editor working on all five up until that point, and then getting a shot, and then taking it seriously, having the book in hand on set, mm-hmm. uh, really making the stride to this is what we're doing, holding up the book. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, but I really, was... I really appreciate that. And it might not have yeah. worked out on all sides, yeah. but I, I, there's something there to be said for that journey, uh, that editor rising to being able to like being appreciated, having the opportunity to do that, and then mm-hmm. seemingly taking it very seriously. For sure. So now that that is, like I said, the slow U decline of our money graph going down, <laughs> that one didn't do as well as the previous one. So 1971, Diamonds Are Forever. What are they going to do? They're like, well, we got to go back to what worked. So they say, money is no object. We got to get Sean Connery back. Give him what he wants. <laughs> Massive fee. And they also offered him two back-to-back films of his choice because the contempt oh. of his character was also publicized. Like He was like, well, I don't want to do this anymore to the press. Yeah. So they said, you can have whatever fee you name and we'll do whatever next two projects you want. I don't know if it was whatever fee he named, but, based, but it yeah, was okay. millions, which was massive. Yeah. They said, we got to get him. Also, because Roger Moore was still filming something else, so they couldn't get him. Yeah, so that's it crazy. Gets, it gets so really... what I'm seeing here is that before the 70s are ushered in, we've had three men play James Bond, and, and seemingly hardly mm. people even re- recognize that. Or, or three in terms of the spoof stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I'm taking yeah. it all in. I'm, I'm counting right. David Niven. I'm telling ta- okay. Casino <laughs> well, Royale, what about the, baby. The original Casino Royale, the, the 40 Oh, no. <laughs> but was that the 50s? Was that the 50s? That was the 50s, yeah. yeah. That was the 50s, okay. okay. Yeah. okay. So by the time, okay, so we take it in totality. By the time 1970 comes around, four men have played James Bond. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and kind for, of and, that's and kind all of for astounding. the reasons, for so many reasons, from it being warm in the Swiss Alps yeah. to... Somebody already being in a TV show to somebody <laughs> owning the rights to one that they maybe shouldn't have. or I don't know, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a million different things. So part of this now, though, talking about shifts is the cultural shift. Americans are fed up broad strokes with mm-hmm. international operatives. God, the Vietnam War has been going on. Yeah. Also, yeah. women's rights. The 70s, we're seeing, as George Lazenby is saying, Bond is kind of being a relic. Connery coming back. <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing right. with this thing? Right. Connery definitely declines the next one after Diamonds Are Forever. He's like, I am completely Never. out. <laughs> so we think. So hold we that go. in mind. So here we are into, we passed 71. Filmmakers are looking, Broccoli is looking at what's going on in film, in culture. Mm-hmm. This is the height of the black exploitation era. Shaft was in 71. We did an episode on that. Yes. Very interesting. In comes Roger Moore. He's finally done with his TV shows. They'd been eyeing him. 
live and let die. I'm ready for Bond. (laughs) And what he brings is a more comedic, lightheartedness, charming. He's more of the debonair playboy who doesn't get hurt. Almost mm-hmm. bordering on self-parody at this point, because like I said, 70s, right. big quote from him. He said, to me, the Bond situations are so ridiculous. I mean, this man is supposed to be a spy, and yet everybody knows he's a spy. It's outrageous. You have to treat the humor outrageous <laughs> as well. This first film also plays on the black exploitation tropes, a lot of the themes, cliches. First African-American mm. Bond girl does not follow mm. a supervillain. Instead, it's about drug trafficking. I mean, it's still by our standards, probably in modern times, not up to snuff. Yeah. yeah. Thematically, misogynistically, all of that stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it was reacting 73. To, right. Reacting to what's going on in the 70s, reacting what's, to what's going on in That's, film. And that, that, I, you have to, we really have to put a pin on that is there's a, mm-hmm. with what they're doing, it's so reactionary. I mean, and I've been trying to put a pin on that anyway in terms of how the industry will jump on things they only jump on the spy stuff as a reaction to wow they made money we can too (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, it's so reactionary so by the time you're 10 movies into this roger moore is coming in in 73 yeah how do you make this uh compelling to a mod at that time a modern audience it's all reactionary what (laughs) what are people into right now what are the movies that are selling we we introduced this genre 10 years ago but we've actually seen a lot of subgenres emerge and a deconstruction mm-hmm. of that emerge. The black exploitation uh, genre is not so disconnected from the, you know, spy stuff to <laughs> say that, the, that we're not like that. The people went to those movies to see that. Definitely. Uh, because Roger Moore than his slate of films, Man with the Golden Gun, was very much about the oil energy crisis that was taking place in the mid 70s right. following Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, Star Wars had just come out. Every movie's going to space. How can we put him in space? Look how reactionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. James Bond on the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Octopussy follows in 83. And with this, this one, one, I'm shocked is so late because, again, I'm not a big James <clears throat> Bond person. I'm not seeing most of these movies at all. So I that was one I thought was an older one. I really thought there was a Connery. No. 60s yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah. That title there, is yeah, yeah. <laughs> hard to get around. Well, it's like I said, more is more the debonair playboy, the self wink and a nod almost. It's almost right. become gold member instead of gold finger. You know, like they know what they're doing. Can we put it in the title? We can just say it in the title. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten to that point. So Roger Moore, they were going to be done with him. They were going to get a new person. Really? <laughs> Here comes back our friend Kevin McClory. Waiting in the wings. He said, my new version of Thunderball is ready. It's ready. (laughs) And you know who I got? Sean Connery. He's going to do it. (laughs) No. Yes. They they got him. So this is 1983's Uh Never Say Never Again. A wink and a nod to Sean Connery (laughs) saying never again. But he got him to do it. So they have to keep Roger Moore for Octopussy because... The exact same year, they both come out in 83, Kevin McClory's remake of Thunderball, almost exactly identical because it's the same story, but it's got Sean Connery in it oh again. Uh, he, he redoes his own thing. Both of those come out in 83. With the title that just basically says, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they quadrupled his fee. Sean Connery was paid four, four times as much. He, he also robbed got, them blind. Yeah. Also, he's 52 when this movie comes oh, out. God. So this wow. is officially now, I promise you, that was the last one that he did. 
he is done. Now, now that's a good distinction. I believe Daniel Craig is the same age. He's fifty three. Uh, so that's pretty. That's pretty close. Yeah, that is <laughs> pretty. Daniel close. Craig is fifty three. So what? Yeah, what happens next with this? Roger Moore's last one, A View to Kill, comes out in eighty five, and he's fifty seven. I believe he's the oldest one. Wow. Which is very oh, yeah. weird okay. for the time, because if Evan, film wise, you think about it, eighty five, Stallone and Schwarzenegger are on the rise, and this oh, yes. is very yes. different. Predator comes out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Predator, Commando, all those movies are coming out and right now, right then. Um, so <laughs> exactly. the action star is taking off in the back half <laughs> of the 80s. I mean, absolutely exploding in a way that yep. nobody had ever seen. And so Moore's 57-year-old sort of womanizer, old guard of the Cold War. It's weird in a way. Yeah. Pitting yeah. him up against that. Yeah, that would be weird. Here comes historical inflection point. We've got to get another James Bond We've seen the action stuff is popping. So 87, here we get Timothy Dalton hmm. and v- much less familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more to the original character, darker, cold, ruthless, very little humor, focused killer, less of a womanizer, mm-hmm. all the action okay. kind of stuff, but even more to the original book stuff. He doesn't have really many one liners, lacks, you know, the sex appeal and charm of the books, which is why and Sean Connery and so on. And he was a stage actor. Timothy Dalton was mostly. So where are we in the financial uh, graph that you asked? Still declining, still declining. We're declining, in that, declining. we're going down. <laughs> we're, we're still, still down, down, right? 87? <laughs> Correct. Okay. 87. Yeah, we're still going down. So that's the first one he does. And then does License to Kill two years later, 89. This has the lowest box office gross of any. We're at the oh. bottom of the U. Because oh, people no. are not liking how he's doing James Bond. <laughs> They're not liking the gritty realism. They don't want any of that stuff. He only gets two. And oh. this is potentially, this has run its course. Maybe James Bond is over here because yeah. they had a three film deal with Timothy Dalton. So he was supposed to do another oh, one. There's legal disputes between MGM and Broccoli's company who owns the rights because MGM is merging with a larger international thing and the broadcasting rights change and there's suits and countersuits and it's a mess for six years. Dalton's contract expires because he also has a time limit to it. It's not three films whenever we decide. It's three films over the course of this many years. So he said, I'm out. I have no obligation to do this. So much time has passed. No thank you. But they're now saying, what can we do different? We've had such a lapse in time, and clearly he's old news. Now, 95, Pierce Brosnan comes back in. That's a big gap compared to Mm -hmm. what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when they started out doing a movie a year, they basically do a movie a year through the 60s. You go into the 70s, and it's a little bit spottier, but they're still doing it every (laughs) two or three years. Yeah, yeah. In through the 80s, it's about similar. You hit 89, and it stops like it's a red light. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they had to. go from 89 to 95. I mean, that's the biggest gap, and it's the biggest gap by a large margin. Yeah, so it could have ended there. This new one, Goldeneye, with Pierce Brosnan, is the first one produced by Broccoli's daughter, Barbara. So perhaps, mm. and definitely, oh, the changing perhaps, of the guard. She's bringing new stuff. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's also it, the it, first. You have to. Yeah. It's the only. You you have to 
the generational stuff. I, I'm 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 hot on that in thematics these days, and, and it's no mm-hmm. it's no coincidence. We're talking about it with James Bond right now with Daniel Craig and No Time to Die. Right, but the right. generational stuff is so important. The changing of the guard, the letting go, and embracing the new. It's such an important thing that I just I would love for us to put more focus on in our <laughs> culture right now. So this is yeah. fascinating. So the the daughter broccoli she yeah because he to, died a year later yeah, yeah so so she's taking she it over in to breathe new life into this thing mm-hmm. it's a lot of first so brosnan adds the suave and elegance back that dalton didn't have and the wit the comedy stuff but also yeah. grittiness on occasion it's a bit more when it comes to the fighting and whatnot you know yeah. but it, it it also like you're saying the changing the guard changing at times they can't make it as overtly sexual and sexist this is right. the first female M. She says Bond Literally, is a sexist. People don't want that. People want yeah. the th- want. They want James Bond to evolve with them. Right. It's like a good band you get into in high school. Yeah. They evolve with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Brosnan said, "I will not smoke. It causes cancer, so he doesn't smoke anymore." Good for him. Which was a big point. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's the '90s, so everything in context. The women in it potentially are still treated as sex objects or damsels mm-hmm. in distress. Definitely. It's a lot of lip service as well to it. But a it starts to get a little Inspector Gadget too, doesn't it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so <laughs> this is the first not to use any story elements from the novels. They're done with They're any They're going of out the on their own. Yeah, the, and it's also framed post-Cold War, so it's all about weapons of mass destruction. That's, wow. that's what's popping at the time. So that's Goldeneye in 95. I'm looking at all the titles right here. Mm-hmm. One surface level thing that is jumping out of <laughs> me. I think Pierce Brosnan's movies have the best titles. <laughs> yeah. they, they seem the most. Tomorrow coherent. never yeah. dies. The world is not enough. Die another day. I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. GoldenEye sounds like it's a Connery film. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, you kind of get that with Goldfinger, right, Thunderball, right, 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 those right. one word ones. Dr. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, I would say Sean Connery's run, obviously the classics there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when well, you also, look at what, what these titles are, I love what they're doing in the Pierce Brosnan run. The Daniel Craig just, titles are not yeah. as good. No, uh, no. no Time to Die sounds like a Pierce Brosnan. Right. Anyway, <laughs> That's what to... I thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, it's yeah. interesting because not based on anything from the novels or short stories or anything. So Goldeneye is an original name. It was the name of his estate, and it was the name of the operation that he did in World War II. But it, but it, but it's not. So that's they are coming up with new names, not based on the source material. Now it's eclipsed itself. Now it's got this whole universe, basically. Now it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's well bigger than Star Wars in terms of just like the material there. In, on, on yeah. terms of film wise, by now there's so many books uh, that go up to. Now you can start to play in the sandbox and create yours instead of having to stick to, you know, uh, <laughs> stick to the book on set on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you really, okay, this is what James Bond has been. This is yeah. what he has served to do. How can we give him a function in the modern day? Yeah. I think really behooved them. Right. Because like, like I said, License to Kill was the lowest. And then Goldeneye, we're st- going back up the U-curve now. Yeah. <laughs> we're going, we're, everything after this is rising in a We're getting some trend. attention, baby. They piece them together. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. what I'm seeing is 95, 97, 99, 2002. That we're yeah. back in we're back in those two, three year gaps, appropriate gaps to actually <laughs> sit down and figure out what story you're telling. Exactly. I loved what you were saying about being open to messing with the material. You have sort of a sandbox. 
I wanted to take a, a diversion, but it's very, very merited. Two years <laughs> after GoldenEye comes out in 97, now what is popular also, inflecting on culture like the bikini, video games, huge. Mm. GoldenEye 007 is the third best-selling Nintendo 64 game of all time. I it, still hear about this game on a <laughs> on, on, on on probably on probably a yearly basis. There's still some actual legitimate reference to this game. Uh, yeah, people mention culture. it. People loved it. I I never had it. I never even right. played the thing. But I I have heard about this game every year of my life. <laughs> well, and here's the thing for those that don't know video games, first person shooters where it looks like you're holding the gun and pointing at stuff. That was mostly on PCs. This really showed that consoles, the Nintendo 64 was yes. one of the newer ones that could even do the 3D graphics that they yes. needed could have this. One of the biggest things though, that it revolutionized, paved the way for so much is multiplayer split screen, meaning mm. four people on one screen and you each have your own little box and you're all playing against each other. This the was emergence. the first one to do it. This paves the way. Halo, Call of Duty, everything yes. now yes. <laughs> is multiplayer. Yes. So it's crazy that it came from James Bond. I don't even think about the world the that it opened up, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> absolutely incredible. I mean, now you're thinking Goldeneye. Now they've got the li license to kill. Now they've got the yeah. license to play. Uh, <laughs> he's he's way more techy. He's modernly conscious. He's not smoking. All these kind of all the tech yeah. stuff fits right into what they're doing with video games. It makes yeah. it makes the character fresh again. Now you're getting Mao instead of it being kind of like an adult drinking and with now you're getting kids involved. Now you're taking kids on spy missions in a video game. <laughs> this is cutting edge. This is compelling stuff. This is yeah. where people are going to throw their dollars. Well, and it's it, it didn't turn James Bond into a video game property, but it did set the stage. It's crazy to even like purport that, but it's it seems to be at least tangentially true. I mean, but again, it's I the mean, producers. Really. It's I I read that, you know, Broccoli and the other producers, they said, use all our assets, use all the films, do all this. You know, it doesn't have to be just based wow. on the GoldenEye movie because it came wow. out two years after the it was just the most popular branding of James Bond was GoldenEye. Yeah. So that's the title they used. But it's it, almost it interesting based on the success of that. And it's not a success that I think has ever waned with the audience that it impacted that it didn't spur more James Bond video games. In fact, now that I look yeah. at this, I'd be like, maybe James Bond actually would be like. Uh, well told if you were living it as a video game. Well, they did announce uh, an original one. I forget who the publisher is, but it's going to be, they announced it in November of 2020 that they're working really? on an original James Bond game, not affiliated. Well, it's about time. I love that. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> Fantastic. Send me a check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, that's, it's a, that's a great idea. I'm thinking about yeah. these types of stories, the adventure that it takes you on, how video games have grown, leaps and bounds, created new absolute real realities uh yeah, so yeah now to think that james bond hasn't really had a step in that since really we got going with first person shooters and stuff <laughs> yeah. it's time to bring him back into that into and that there's been that's there's a really been a couple but idea. it hasn't yeah it hasn't been nearly to the level that other yeah full-on properties have been yeah that's exciting yeah no it's 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 i was tickled to read about that and refresh myself and be like oh yeah he changed video games forever yeah <laughs> um, oh yeah by the way yeah <laughs> so back to the films the great titles tomorrow never dies the world's not enough <laughs> die another day the pierce brosnan stuff finding even though they're making money the the critical reception is not up to snuff 
Mm-hmm. They're too campy. The CGI is crazy. The gadgets, maybe just too far. He's a bit far, too Batman right bordering now. Bordering on parody. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he's 2000- just like Batman. And this is happening concurrently with the Schumacher Batmans, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, yeah. It's so happening he- with the same character, the same type of thing, the same. And it makes sense. That's the 90s edge that, that, that both would be barking up those trees and be so closely linked mm-hmm. almost tonally. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. Here comes two the new kind of wave of what people want. Remember we talked about the two different types of spy stories, the one who comes in from the cold and Mission Impossible. Well, Born comes out the exact same year as Die Another Day, 2002. So the tide is changing where people want maybe that gritty, shaky cam, really, that revolutionized a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. That comes out in 2002, and I think that mm-hmm. the the Broccoli family and all the other producers are sitting back and thinking about what a white-led uh, you know, spy action thriller looks like taken seriously. Right. Because I think that that absolutely served as the most prominent modern prototype for what they would do next. So they're seeing that born and all of that stuff. What better way than Casino Royale, the origin, you know, Batman begins like you're talking about. It's like, how can we do this again? But they don't have the rights. These fools over here still have still have the rights. It's the one thing they don't have the rights for. So right around the time of the world is not enough. So not quite the when he's done. But Sony Pictures is the one that ended up with it. They give them the rights in exchange for get this Spider-Man. So they gave <gasps> Spider-Man to Sony in exchange for oh Casino Royale in around 99 or 98. Oh, and look what wow. they they act on it. And Lord have mercy. That's but incredible. I, I didn't know that at, at that all, time. Yeah. Actually, James Cameron is attached. He actually wrote oh. um, a couple drafts of that movie. And that's exactly uh-huh. when he was attached to it. So that's fascinating to see how those <laughs> major properties are changing hands right there. Switched. Yeah, because Sony could have. I mean, they could have done without the Casino Royale rights, but they wanted them. Because it was the only one they hadn't done, you know? Yeah, so they get them around 2000, right? Correct. Yeah, a little before. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. very cool. So very cool. that moves us finally to, I love how all of this is making sense in terms of film history, cultural history, everything. Yeah. 2006, Casino Royale. He's blonde. He's rugged. He's a blunt object. Yeah, just look at the history of James Bond also in the history of everything going on. Front page news for the Daily Mirror in the UK. It said the name's Bland, James Bland. They oh! hate, but then praised for bringing it into the modern era. <laughs> you know, like he yeah. he is more what Ian Fleming devised him as a charming, cold hearted killing machine Blunt that object. is also a swine who needs to change his ways. Or <laughs> You know, like that. <laughs> yeah, that is very much. I, and you I, can speak I, to this because you have now seen these. I have these. OK, so I've I've seen some of the Pierce Brosnan films in mm-hmm. passing as a child. I've hardly ever seen any of the others. Forgive me. I will be starting <laughs> with John Connery's, uh, you know, starting with number one and going yeah, through yeah. them. But I have seen all of the Daniel Craig's basically in succession of when they were released or, or relatively so. Uh-huh. And it's so interesting that set up conversation with Jason Bourne. I think they looked at that movie and they thought, well, what is what about this is compelling? What about this has people intrigued? It's not that we're going to exotic countries and jumping through windows. (laughs) It's that there was actually a very good mystery at the bottom of who Jason Bourne was. Right. Why he was in the middle of this. And I think that this is where they actually start putting together a James Bond that has something to say that actually has an arc that has meaning throughout all of the films, not just one on its own as a pedestal. What are we going to do in this one? Now they like start a sitcom. thinking of this. Yeah. 
this really as a serial character. And we're going to carry this character to the next one and to the next one. I think it's one of the most successful uh, <laughs> turns of a, of, a, of a character you you could point to. It's so heartbreaking to even think about the reaction of when Daniel Craig was cast, you know, James Bland. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, these things happen. People disagree with casting choices all the time. I mean, look no further than Heath Ledger and right. Dark Knight. I think that a lot of people are confused about uh, maybe what they've done with the character compared to everything the character has been. Right. I think it's the only way forward for a character like this, because without getting to the root of being able to relate at all to this man, I, I don't understand what he has to give. If you have nothing left to give, you are irrelevant. I, 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 and that is said <laughs> in the new movie. Uh, and, and talk about a movie with something to say. I loved what you said about Jason Bourne being somebody where you're trying to figure out who he is because he's yeah. bond for a long time is a distraction, <laughs> you know, the escapist thing, right. but people see him also in a way as a reflection of society where it's like Ian Fleming wrote for the largest audience of 1952, where he's right. misogynist and womanizing and smokes and drinks all the time. And that was appealing right. to a broad, broad audience that would want to see these films. Yeah. But now, but now it doesn't, more and different people are going to the movies. And it also doesn't mean that that has to be a piece of his character. Not, it's not just an aspect of the time, you know. Like right. ba the new Batman is not going to be misogynistic because Batman's views on women is not a part of his character, you know. Like it, <laughs> it, uh, it, it follows yeah. with the times. But it's interesting that people like latch on to certain aspects because that was what it was for the time. But even Ian Fleming was saying, he said he's a healthy, violent, non-cerebral man in his mid thirties and a creature of his era. That's how yeah. he described him. So it's like, if the author is saying that. No, it seems to me that they had a, they hit an incredible reset after the most amazing rebound through the 90s. Uh, they, <laughs> they rebound it, and then they, were, they had the clear enough mind to move this character into the 21st century. If we want to keep making these movies, we have to find out a way to make him relevant. And the only way you can make this character relevant is if we can relate to him or intrigued by him and his real self at all. So I think a lot of people are confused when they say, like, why are you digging into to James Bond and his backstory? And I was like, because <laughs> otherwise there is no story. Because we have I, seen, I think, yeah, like you yeah. said, we have seen smashing through windows and we have seen exotic, yes. like exotic locales is kind of offensive too. Cause it's like, but ev like we're so global now. It's not like, oh my God, he's going right. to this foreign land. Like that was, that was amazing in the 60s. It, yeah. <laughs> right now it's like, so what? It's like, what do you have to say? Mm -hmm. If you have nothing left to give, you're irrelevant. Your, your set piece is not what I'm really here for. I mean, I get that that feels like major pieces of it and they want, yeah. James Bond has some some uh, formula escapist quality. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but if you really if we uh, again, they tried uh, just doing it over and over again and it fell off a cliff and it took a long time to build that back. You yeah. can't just recycle this over and over again without actually expanding it. And by the time we get to No Time to Die. I'm feeling things for James Bond as a character that I did not know was possible. Yeah. Why am I feeling so much about this character by the end of this film? Because this film actually, I felt, had something so important to say. Again, I'll go back to that generational stuff. I think yeah. our culture could use a little bit of taste of moving on and appreciating things for what they were good for and yeah. then making something new 
uh, we are we are now <laughs> more fuller humans than we were. You know, we we have grown. We have we have learned so much over the course of the existence of this character. Yeah, uh, we can't do it the way it's been done. And hopefully, three James Bonds from now, we will be like, look at Daniel Craig and how, <laughs> yeah, how out of touch that was. <laughs> you know, like that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I really now I'm looking to the stars to see. And now that I'm realizing, oh, I'm invested. I like Daniel Craig. I think that's my idea of James Bond. He's my James Bond. What are they mm-hmm. going to do next? Now I'm in that fold, baby. I'm invested. <laughs> they found an incredible spot to lay it down and yeah. say, wow. Uh, what an amazing run. We're going to make this worth something, worthwhile. We're going to make this compelling and emotional. Part of me also thinks, because we've now hit this end of sort of the gritty reboot syndrome of everything, right. and maybe audiences are tired of that, maybe there will be more of an escapist. I, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about where, if they're responding to what audiences are or are not doing, will we see another round of that or will there be a dip? Once people get sick of that, or will it be able to be merged in a way? This is a very interesting thing, and in I think the Broccoli family and all those all those producers have been trying to understand. It's been their life, their lot in life, to try to understand well, where are people's interests right now? Yeah, I, I bet they've got a plan. You know, I bet they've got a plan. So they've already and, thought. About and it. I don't. <laughs> I think a lot of people were concerned. Is like, oh, they're they're going to make James Bond is going to be you know Jamie Bond or something like that. I don't. I don't think that's exactly what they're where they're going right, with it. Right. I know on the last episode we were talking more about like again and then this generational letting go of letting things be what they were good for. That's what this movie does for me is like, well James Bond and, and what he is good for is really we've aged out of a lot of it. This is that good moment to to say goodbye. What yeah. pieces of the character might we be saying goodbye to that we've not really come to terms with yet? Will we will we hear the music again? You know, like well all the, you, you, there's it's all up for grabs here about what this character will look like going forward. I think the industry saw what happened with Ghostbusters and went like, you can't just change the the gender and and like audiences will think that's fine and go. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen here. That's not what happened in No Time to Die for anybody that's scared a- about like, oh, he's going to be a woman, James Bond. That's, that's not where they leave it. And I think they've got way more tricks up their sleeve than to just go like, hey, it's going to be a woman now. I, I think that would that would be really underestimating them. Yeah. So we don't know. We'll see. What? Yeah. What do you think they'll do? <laughs> Please reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. If you love this, if you hated this, if you want more of this type of multi-part series, this was a blast for us to look at. And Yeah. Thank you guys for sticking out. with us. Thank you, Taylor, for all this incredible research. It's a blast to be able to go through something, a timeline like this. I mean, such a robust timeline. Uh, I just Your research and your work cannot be appreciated enough. Thank <laughs> you guys for listening to us. Really, get in touch with us. What do you think about the Bond movies? Where do you think they're going next? What's your favorite? Uh, we'd love to start, start a conversation with you about these things because there will be another Bond movie, and so it's all up for guests right now. We just thank you for being here. Uh, check us out at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Message us. Let us know what you're reading, what you're excited for coming out of the theaters or in TV. You never know when we'll do an episode that is all about something you want to know. And we will catch you next week like we always do. Mm-hmm.